Several years ago, I found myself kind of becoming a, a little bit obsessed with rites of passage. You know, these, these moments in life where someone takes a decisive step from one season of life into the next. And so earlier this summer, I was eating lunch with a good friend of mine. He and his wife were getting ready to have a son who's getting ready to turn 13. And they told me about this kind of 12-month rite of passage that they do with each of their children starting on their 12th birthday and ending on their 13th birthday. And so he was kind of telling me the way that it unfolded. And I remember him talking about his son. He said, Dave, we really want to give him the opportunity to understand that when he turns 13, something's changing. He's not where he used to be. He's not a kid anymore. He's also not where he's going to be. He's not a full-grown man yet. But there's something about that 13th birthday where it is a decisive step towards the person he's becoming. And we want to help him take a really good step. And so on his 12th birthday, they began this kind of 12-month rites of passage. And so each month, they would have an important conversation, 12 conversations over the course of a year. They had him read 12 books over the course of the year, books that they thought would shape him as a man of God and just as a person. They watched 12 movies, just kind of pop cultural movies that would shape a man, you know, so they watched the Star Wars trilogy and Goonies and Dumb and Dumber, you know, things that would form his soul, you know, to, to help him adapt as a human being. They had him connect with other friends and people that they thought would form. And then this is one of the most beautiful things they did. They had some people they respect write letters to him. And on his 13th birthday, they got in a room. They read these letters and these prayers over him. They gave him an epic gift. And they said, now you are taking a step. You're not where you used to be. You're also not where you're going to be. But this evening, you're taking a step towards the person you were meant to be. And our lives are, are full of these moments, these rites of passage. Sometimes they are kind of informal rites of passage, you know, so like going to kindergarten or losing your first tooth or getting the, um, getting the training wheels off your bicycle. You know, these are big moments in the human experience. Or you get a little bit older and it's your first job or your first paycheck or your first kiss or your first car or your driver's license. These, these moments of transition where you realize I'm not where I used to be, I'm not where I'm going to be, but I just took a step towards where I'm supposed to be. Sometimes these moments are more formal, right? So you think about high school graduation. You put on that stupid gown and that, that dumb hat and you call all of your friends and family together and you literally walk across the stage as a symbol of you leaving one phase of the journey and entering into the next. You do this when you go to college and some of you pledge fraternities or sororities and you go through a season of pledging or hazing or torture or whatever it is that they, they, they call it. But you go through this journey and there's this crossing over, this rites of passage, this moment where you become something more. It happens in our families when you find someone that you love, and then one day you propose, and then one day you stand at the altar in front of your friends and your family, and it's this declaration that I'm not where I used to be. I also haven't arrived where I'm going to be, but I took a step towards who I'm supposed to be. These rites of passage, and our, our spiritual journeys are full of these too. Some of you grew up in traditions where you had some of these moments along the way. You had confirmation, you had first communion, you had bar mitzvah, you had quinceanera, whatever it is. You had these moments along the journey where someone helped you take a decisive step towards the place and the person that you were meant to become. And this evening, we're going to look at, we're going to celebrate one of the most important rites of passage in the Christian journey. It's a, it's a rite of passage that Jesus participated in when he was 30. It's a rite of passage that Jesus taught about. It's a rite of passage that Jesus commanded every one of his followers to partake in if they wanted to be a part of God's family. And it's the, it's the passage of baptism. And over the years here at Ethos, if you've been around, we've talked about baptism a lot. We've looked at it from different angles. We've talked about baptism as this moment of participation. 
where you and I are participating in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we look at Romans chapter six, and it's this moment of participation. We've talked about baptism as this moment of proclamation out of Colossians chapter two. You know, on the cross, Jesus proclaimed his love for us in the waters of baptism. We proclaim our love for him. We've talked about baptism as a moment of penance where you go down in the water and you're washed anew, forgiven of sin, cleansed in Christ, this this moment of new birth. But tonight I want us to look at an angle of baptism that we've never talked about here at Ethos. Not just participation, not just penance, not just proclamation, but I want us to talk about this moment of passage. This moment of decisively taking a step from one phase of the spiritual journey into the next, understanding and declaring that we're not where we used to be. We also aren't where we're going to be, but tonight we're moving towards who we are meant to be. And it's this thing that we begin to experience in, in, in the waters of baptism. This summer, I was reading through the New Testament, and I came to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And Paul, the apostle, is writing this letter to this, this young little church plant in the city of Corinth, and he's trying to help them understand where their spiritual heritage with Jesus ties into the larger spiritual story of the scriptures. He's trying to help them understand that they didn't, their little church didn't just appear out of nowhere, that they are tied into a much bigger story of what God is doing. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you don't have to turn there, I'll just reference it for you. Paul looks at this little church and he says, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be ignorant about what God has been doing in the lives of your ancestors. He says, the Israelites... Your ancestors, the Jewish people, in the Old Testament, when they followed the the cloud, when they followed the pillar of fire, when they went down into the Red Sea, when God parted the waters, he says it was there with Moses that they experienced their baptism. And I never noticed that part of the story before. He said it was there that they experienced baptism, and he goes on to say that it was there in the water, it was there at the rock, it was there in the cloud that they experienced Jesus, even though they didn't know who Jesus was yet. And you get down to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, and there's this statement that I used to always just treat as a throwaway statement, but I think it's one of the most powerful statements. He looks at him and he says, these things happen to them as an example for us. These very real, historical, physical, life-altering moments with God happened to them as an example for us. The apostle Paul looks and says, listen, Unless you understand the Red Sea, you will never understand the fullness of baptism. And unless you understand the fullness of baptism, you'll never understand the fullness of the Red Sea. He says these things are connected. It's a big story that God is writing, and you and I get to be a part of it. And so tonight, I want us to think about what it means to step into this rite of passage, to follow in a long line of people who have encountered the power of God, who have understood what it meant to pass from one phase of the journey to the next. The people who understood what it was like to live on one side of the sea and then to experience the liberation in Christ of living on the other. So Exodus chapter 14 is where we're going to go tonight for just a a few minutes. And I'll just give you the cliff notes of what's taken place up to here. There's a group of people called the Israelites, the Jewish people. They had been in slavery in Egypt for 430 years. Physical oppression at the hands of a really brutal people at the time. And what you're going to discover in the scriptures is that their physical oppression will become the primary metaphor, the primary paradigm to describe our spiritual oppression throughout the rest of the scriptures. So if you want to understand the Bible, you've got to understand this over and over and over. The the biblical writers will point back and they'll talk about what happened in Egypt because their physical slavery became a picture of our spiritual slavery before we knew Christ. And so there's this story unfolding in the book of Exodus. People have been in slavery for 430 years and God raises up this unlikely savior in the midst of a man named Moses and God is going to use Moses to deliver the people into freedom. 
So you get to Exodus chapter 12. They experience the Passover, and it says that the people of God march out boldly out of Egypt towards their freedom. Now, I want you to picture this, because so often when I'd picture this story when I was younger, I'd picture you know, a few dozen people or a few hundred people marching out of Egypt. We're talking about more than two million people at the time of the Passover. It'd be like the city of Houston evacuating Egypt and marching into the desert. I mean, this huge group of people marching out boldly. And you get to Exodus chapter 14. It says they're marching on their way, excited for what God is doing. And in verse 1, it says God speaks to Moses. He says, tell the people to stop and to camp with their backs against the Red Sea. And this sets the story for tonight. They're there camping at the Red Sea. A few days later, Pharaoh, who was over them in Egypt, their oppressor, changes his mind. He arms the chariots, he arms the horsemen, he arms the soldiers, and they decide they're going back to get the slaves. They're bringing them home, and they begin to march out. And this is the scene that unfolds. Look at Exodus chapter 14, verse 10 with me tonight. There's some pictures here unfolding that I think speak into what it means to be a baptized community. In verse 10, it says this, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, And there were the Egyptians marching after them, and they were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? I love that statement. They said, what have you done to us by bringing us to Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Now, I don't know if you remember the story from the book of Exodus, but that is not what they said when Moses showed up. Moses showed up and he says, God has sent me here to free you. And it says they fell down on their faces and worshiped. But have you, have you ever noticed that sometimes when you find yourself in the midst of pain, you have the tendency to rewrite history? And they start looking back on it, and they go, man, it was, I'd rather be a slave than experience the things that we're experiencing. And I love Moses' response, verse 13. And Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. He would have had to have screamed because there were two million people lining the Red Sea. He's going, don't be afraid, Ethos. Don't be afraid, Israel. Don't be scared. Look at what God's doing. Stand firm and you will see the salvation that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. I want to tattoo that verse in my face. I mean, just this this epic promise, this epic verse of who God is. He's saying, listen, don't be scared. Don't be afraid. God's moving even though the oppressors are bearing down on you. And I love this scene, the Israelites had experienced the movement of God in their life, but suddenly they come face to face with a problem. And it's this three-dimensional problem. There is a problem before them, there is a problem behind them, and there is a problem inside of them. The problem before them is the sea. It's this giant body of water, they can't get around it. I remember when I was a kid, I'd read this story and I'd look at the map in the back of my Bible and I'm like, why don't they just march around? It's only like six inches long, you know? Well, what's the deal? And I want you to picture this, it wasn't a pond. It'd be like standing face to face with the Atlantic Ocean going, man, there's no way we can get around this. And I want you to notice this, the problem that was before them, the sea was before them because they'd been obedient to God. Have you ever had one of these moments where you're following God in obedience and all of a sudden you find yourself face to face with an obstacle that you can't get past? That sometimes your obedience leads you to an obstacle that requires the help of God for you to move beyond. 
If your life is possible, apart from the intervention and the presence of a living God, chances are you're not actually following God. And there's this moment where the Israelites, they have marched out of Egypt boldly. They find themselves face-to-face with the problem in front of them because they've been walking in obedience. But there's not just a problem in front of them. There's also a problem behind them. What's the problem behind them? It's the Egyptians. It's the old slave masters. I think this is one of the coolest pictures of what it feels like to be saved in all the Bible. Have you ever had one of these moments where you're, you're in worship and you're praying and you know God has just touched your heart. You know God has just changed your life. And you march out boldly. You're like, God, I've been saved. I'm leaving the land of slavery. I can do anything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then an hour goes by and you're like, I can do nothing. Where are you, Christ? It's a feeling. You march out. And you find yourself in the desert and all of a sudden the old slave masters come calling, the old addictions the old habits, the old friends, and the ones that used to stand over you with whips in Egypt are now coming with tanks and chariots and spears and swords. And they're not looking to oppress you, they're looking to kill you. And all of a sudden, the Israelites, they find themselves a problem before them, a problem behind them, and they discover the problem inside of them. Look back at verse 12 and 13. I love this scene. It says, when they see the Egyptians coming, it says they're terrified. They begin to say, Moses, let's go back. What's the deal? And there's a scene where you realize that they're not just struggling with the problem before them and behind them, but inside them is a heart that is shaking, a heart that is fear-filled and terrified, that doesn't know what to do, that doesn't know how to move forward. I love this picture because you realize the Israelites don't have very good faith, but what you're going to see in the context of Exodus chapter 14, it's not going to be about the quality of their faith. It's going to be about the object of their faith. Because the quality of their faith is lousy, but the one to whom their faith is pointing is immovable, unstoppable, unchangeable. And they find themselves face to face with the problem before, behind, and inside. But I love this because it's going to be in the midst of the problem that they're going to experience the unbelievable provision of God. And God is going to say, listen, there's a way forward. I'm not going to take you around. I'm not going to take you behind. He says, I'm going to take you through. And God is going to do the unthinkable. He's going to open up the waters. He's going to give them the opportunity to literally march through the very thing that is holding them back. Look at at verse 16. Hop down there with me. God speaks to Moses and he says, raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the waters so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. Verse 21 And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, and he turned it into dry ground, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left. And so there's this moment. They encounter the problem before them, behind them, and inside them. And God says, listen, let me provide a way through it. And I think we've seen too many movies. We've read too many children's books. We've heard this story too often when you begin to lose the fear and the awe and the wonder of what God is doing here. I mean, this is a terrifying moment. I want you to picture you're at the Atlantic Ocean with your friends and family, and all of a sudden, the Atlantic Ocean parts, and there is a path of dry ground all the way to Europe, and some guy in a beard with a staff and a long robe shows up and says, hey, take your kiddos. Let's walk through the ocean to Europe. I go, nobody in your right mind would do that, because you go, well, okay, what's going to keep the ocean from just, like, caving in? That's what water does. What keeps it, you know, 100 yards in or a mile in or or two miles in? What keeps it from caving in? And I want you to notice this thing that's happening. They come face to face with their problem and God says, I'm going to provide a way. But the step that you're going to have to take is going to require you to face your fear and move out in faith. 
If what God is calling you tomorrow requires less faith than what you're walking in today, chances are it's not God who's calling it to you tomorrow. There's this thing that God does. He says, look, Steph, I'm providing a way, but you've got to move, you've got to walk, you've got to face your fear. And I think sometimes we picture this story, the sea parting and the Israelites like marching through, like singing VBS songs. And I bet you it wouldn't have been like that. I bet you they would have been running going, ah, God's going to kill us. God's going to kill us. You know, just terrified. Think about how scary this moment would have been. But they took a step. They moved. They walked, they put their lives in a place where only God could sustain and only God could end them. And they walked through, they came face to face with the problem before them and behind them and inside them, God provided a way through and as they took a step into his provision, what they experienced was his power. I'm gonna paraphrase verses 23 through 28, but it says that the, the Israelites spent all night walking through the Red Sea. There's a lot of people. It was a long journey. It took an entire night. They get all the way through the Red Sea. It says that God lifted the clouds so that the Egyptians could then begin following them in. It says the enemies chased them into the water. It says that God spoke to Moses and said, lift your staff back up and let the water come back over your enemies because I wanna demonstrate my power. I want the Israelites to understand what it is that I've already given them. I've already freed them from the slavery of Egypt, but I want them to understand just how strong and just how powerful is the God that they're walking with. And verse 28 is an amazing verse out of Exodus chapter 14 because it says the Israelites witnessed that day. They, they saw that none of the ones who oppressed them in Egypt remained anymore. Now, this is an important moment where they see the power of God put to death their physical and spiritual enemies that had oppressed them for so long. You've got to hear me. If you've tuned me out, please tune back in for just a second. On the other side of the Red Sea, the Israelites were going to still experience struggle. But never again was this generation going to experience slavery. And there's a big difference between experiencing struggle and, a, and an experience of slavery. This generation had been freed from Egypt. They were going to still have battles. They were going to still have struggles. They were going to still have things to fight. But from now on, they were going to fight the battle as sons and daughters, not slaves. And everything was going to change for them in the story. They had seen the problem before them and behind them and within them. God had created this provision through the water. He had demonstrated his power over the enemies. And I love the way that it ends. Jump down to verse 29, Exodus chapter 14. It says, but the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with the wall of water on the right and on the left. And that day the Lord saved Israel from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they put their trust, this is, listen to this phrase, and they put their trust in his servant Moses. They began discovering here what God has been doing since the beginning of time, that God delights in working through the faithfulness of one to bring about salvation to many. If you read through the scriptures, Moses becomes the foreshadow of Jesus, the greater Moses who would one day come. You see this picture of Moses, a man who stood with God and the people. He stood for the glory of God and in the midst of the people. You get this picture that God is working through the faithfulness of one so that the masses could experience the saving work of God. You get into the New Testament. I don't know if you've ever noticed this in the book of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew is written to the Israelite people. In the first seven chapters of Matthew, the story of Jesus follows the story of Moses. 
And he's making all of these comparisons because the Israelites would have seen that Jesus was the greater Moses. Both Moses and Jesus, right after they were born, you remember this, the, the powers that be both tried to put them to death when they were young kids and they narrowly escaped. Both Moses and Jesus had to flee from Egypt when they were young. Both Moses and Jesus began their ministry by crossing through a body of water. Moses through the Red Sea, Jesus through the Jordan. Both Moses and Jesus, right after going through the water, went into the desert. Moses for 40 days, Jesus, or Moses for 40 years, Jesus for 40 days. Both Moses and Jesus, after being in the desert, went up on the mountain to receive the law. Moses, the Ten Commandments, Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. And both Moses and Jesus came down to lead a people to freedom. You get the sense all through the scriptures that what Moses was, Jesus fulfilled. That what Moses was doing for a nation, Jesus Christ was doing for all nations. It's what the writer of Hebrews is going to say. Just close your eyes and listen to these words real quick out of Hebrews chapter 3. I love this picture that the writer of Hebrews kind of connects the dots for us. He says, so therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Listen to this, verse five. Moses was, a faithful, was the most faithful servant in all of God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Jesus Christ was the faithful son over God's house, and the son is always greater than the servant. The son is always greater than the servant. And we are his house, the church, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and our hope, which is in him and his glory. And so there's this picture that Paul is pointing to in 1 Corinthians 10 that the writer of Hebrews is pointing back to and saying, listen, Moses, as great as Moses was, Moses was the appetizer before the main course. He was the free bread. Jesus was the filet mignon. Moses was the opening band. Jesus was the Beatles. I mean, he's the one that your hearts were made for. And you can't understand baptism until you understand the Red Sea. And you can't understand the Red Sea until you understand baptism. Because there's this picture, there's this thing that unfolds, is that as God's people, we come to this revelation that we were all entrapped in our own Egypts. We all had our moments of oppression and slavery, and God raised up this unlikely Savior in a man named Jesus. And Jesus met us in our Egypts, and he invited us out by the power of his own blood. And there's this moment for all of us on the journey of salvation where we come face to face with the reality that there's a problem before us, a problem behind us, and a problem inside of us. That there's this gap between us and the Father that can only be crossed by Jesus the Son. That there's this past that can only be dealt with by Jesus the Son. And that there's this shaky, fickle heart inside of us that can only be redeemed by Jesus the Son. And it's at the moment of baptism where we come face to face with our own Red Sea moment where we stand in the, the water and we understand that although Moses parted the sea with the staff, Jesus Christ parted the waters with his cross. And it was by his blood that was shed that you and I enter into the water. And when we enter into the water, just like the Israelites, all of the old slave masters chase us in. And the good news is Jesus is there in the water ready to meet them head on. It was there on the cross that he took every slave master that would chase you into the water. You came out on the other side free and good. Three days later, after being buried in a tomb that Jesus did not own, he raised from the dead on a Sunday morning. He showed up on the metaphorical other side of the Red Sea, and he said, who's ready to party? Because we're going to the promised land. Who wants in on this? And baptism, 
Baptism is this declaration. It is this crossing over. It is this passage where we understand that in Christ, something has happened. And although we're not where we used to be and we're also not where we're going to be, we have taken a decisive step towards who we're meant to be. And that in Jesus Christ, this is available to all people, young, old, rich, poor, black, white, educated, uneducated, this offer is on the table. And Jesus says, the waters have parted. You have the courage to take a step. And there's life on the other side of the sea. And so here in just a few minutes, we're gonna have the opportunity to respond. And the reality is for all of us, it's gonna take a moment of courage. For some of you, this moment of response is gonna be a time of prayer. You are a follower of Jesus. You've been baptized You've been freed from the slave masters that held you down in your spiritual Egypt, but the reality is there are still enemies that are knocking on your door. There's still battles that you're facing, and you need the deliverance of God. And we're gonna have men and women up here praying. This morning, it was amazing. We just had lines of people who were just being prayed over. They needed deliverance of God. And for some of you tonight, you just need to come up, and you just need to be prayed over that God could do something in your life. And so for some of you, that will be your response in a minute. We'll have men and women up here to my left at the response minute. Just come be prayed for. For others, the response is gonna be a time of communion. We're gonna take the bread, we're gonna take the wine. And we've been talking about this for weeks, but I wanna remind you of this. The way the Israelites ate the meal in Egypt was very different than the way they ate the, the meal in the promised land. In Egypt, they ate the meal with fear that the enemies were coming. In the promised land, they ate the meal with joy knowing that the enemies had been dealt with. We go to the table, we go to the bar, wherever it is that you go in the room each week, and we get the bread and we get the wine, and we rejoice that we're on the other side of the sea and that through Jesus Christ, the waters have been parted, God has done something amazing in our life, and we celebrate with joy who it is that God is. So for some of you, the response will be a time of prayer. For some of you, the response will be a time of communion. And for some of you tonight, the response will be a time of baptism. This is your night. You came here and you had no idea that God was gonna do this in your heart. I just wanna tell you, we're prepared for you. We have every size clothes you can imagine, dark t-shirts and shorts. We have changing rooms, we have towels, we have people to pray with you. We're gonna film it, we're gonna take pictures, we can FaceTime in your parents if they're not here. Some of you have a million excuses why you're not yet ready to walk through the sea and I pray that you'll hear the voice of Jesus calling your name gently say, come, come. Walk through the waters, experience life on the other side. So in a few minutes, when we stand up, I'm gonna pray over us, and it'll be your time to come forward. Some of you, you know, the Spirit of God is piercing your heart right now. And it's not because of my sermon. It's not that good of a sermon. It's because the Spirit of God is calling you to Jesus. And I wanna encourage you, when that happens, come find me, come find some of us up at the front wearing red shirts or blue shirts, and we'll show you where to go and what to do. And we're gonna celebrate like crazy with God as you walk through the water. So let's stand together. I'm gonna to pray over us. And then we're gonna have an extended time of worship and baptism and communion and prayer. And uh, we're just gonna enjoy the Lord tonight. So if you feel comfortable, I just invite you to lift your hands before God as we pray for God to move among us uh, this evening.